A good vach to everyone who is joining us. I'd like to welcome all of you to Yedidim's third annual Chinuch Think Tank here in Los Angeles, even though this time it is virtual. I must say that I miss being there in person with you. The tremendous warmth of the Kehila is something that I have enjoyed immensely, along with the wonderful friendships that I have built up with many people. Even though I don't miss the traveling and having to leave my family here in Eretz Yisrael, I do miss spending time in your beautiful community. Those of you not familiar with Yedidim, I'll give you a brief introduction. We are based in Eretz Yisrael and work with the English-speaking community here. In short, we are an epic organization. I know it sounds cliche, but in addition to the fact that we have achieved epic accomplishments with our clientele, EPIC is also an acronym for what we do. Empowering parents, inspiring children. Everything that we do falls into one of, one of these categories in many programs. For more details, feel free to contact us or visit our website, edem.org. During this past year, we have been especially busy Children who are already struggling had their personal situations worsened. Families that were already at their wit's end now desperately needed a lifeline. These families needed a lot more attention and our resources were tested and stretched beyond the limit. We were more active and more crucially needed than ever before. However, I am proud to say that our team stepped up to the plate and successfully met these challenges. We provided many services online in addition to our regular services, workshops, lectures, support groups, events, and more. We have reached close to 5,000 people from all over the globe just from these programs. This Chinuch of today weekend is sponsored by the Silverman family as a schus for a speedy and complete refuah for their father, a friend of Yedidim, Nachi Silverman. Nachum Avram ben Rifka for refuah shalemah Nachi has been a sponsor of all our past Los Angeles events, so it is befitting that this event should be, Hashem, be a tremendous schus for his complete and speedy recovery. <clears throat> Although these events are free of charge, we will reach out to you after the event with generosity to help us continue to help the thousands of families that count on us each year. I would also like to thank our Women's Steering Committee, as well as many friends that have once again been a tremendous help to pull this event off here in LA. Tonight, we will ask each question from two panelists. If any other panelists would like to differ or add on, they should please feel free. Now, let's pull everyone up. Okay, now that we are have everyone here, I would like to introduce and thank our esteemed panel. We have joining us tonight, Los Angeles' own Rabbi Shalom Pendler, Rosh Yeshiva of Masif Tabirkas Yitzchok, and Rabbi David Rebach, the Rabbi of Adasa Torah. And we're always honored to have 
members from Los Angeles join us on this panel. We are honored to be joined by Rabbi Arne Lapiansky, Yeshiva of Greater Washington, who is also known for tackling issues that relate to today's generation through his Shi'urim, as well as his forum that he has written. Rabbi Mordechai Becher also deals with today's contemporary issues as a senior lecturer at Gateways from the thousands of answers that he has written on AskTheRabbi.org, as well as his printed form, his latest being Gateway to Judaism. We also have joining us all the way from Eretz Yisrael, Rabbi David Kaplan, who has joined us previously in person in Los Angeles for our first two Chinuch of Today weekends. Rabbi Kaplan, I hope you had an easier trip this time. And Rabbi Kaplan always inspires people around the world through his lectures, books, and articles, as well as his students in Or Sameach. So once again, I'd like to thank you all for joining us tonight. May you all continue to have tremendous bracha matzlacha in your harbatsa So we have received quite a few questions, and we'd like to address as many as possible, Be'ezus Hashem. So without further ado, I want to jump into the first question. So the first question is that in Los Angeles, person writes, it is becoming increasingly difficult to insulate our children. The exposure that they have to the outside world in the average carpool ride, though the billboards, people, etc., can be overwhelming. How do we keep our children from being lured by the attractions of society? Rabbi Lopiansky, sir. Um, first of all, Yosha Koch, and this is obviously very important topics. So I guess um, a little bit we could learn from Inyana Diyama. The question, the way you phrase it was, how can insulate our children? And I think the COVID has taught us that uh, vaccination is a lot better than isolation. Isolation doesn't work terribly well and it falls apart. Um, it's interesting because I was the first time in Los Angeles, I don't know, 35 years ago maybe I, I came and I myself was struck at the billboards. It wasn't as if I grew up in, in Meir Sharem. I grew up in Lower East Side. It wasn't, uh, can't say Manhattan was, was, a, was an island of Ketusha, but, but Los Angeles had a certain dimension to it. So obviously, the idea that you can isolate and insulate and they won't see and they won't know, it's a myth and it's counterproductive, I think. Um, being able to telling your kids about how terrible it is and what kind of Gehenna awaits them, the first time that they'll get a taste of it, they're going to be torn up. They'll struggle once, twice, and the third time they'll say, well, once I'm going to Gehenna, at least I might as well enjoy something in this world. I don't think it works either. I think that if you address it to them in a mature way, and, you, and, and again, the age isn't critical, is critical, you can sit down and say, what are people's lives all about? Look at what people are into, and look at how much it's not a tourist Adam. And... You have, to, you have to build up in them an appreciation of what, of what a person who is a Dahibna person is, how wonderful it is, how much it takes to get into it, 
it's a it's it's a combination of um it, it's a combination of the Sheval Taisa, but much more important is the Kumase, a world of Torah, a world of Chachma, a world of Das, and and blocking out as much as possible the other world. So a the, 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 you're, you're dealing with a realistic situation. You're not putting it down as a Gehenim um, type of situation. Look at what people are all day all all day long. All they look are, are at the curve of a body. That's all. That's all that they're into, and nothing else. It's 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 about chai. You can be different. It takes getting into something because again, our chinuch our has been getting into the beauty and the oymek and the kedusha of Torah is the alternate world that's toiv, and it's a struggle. But you know, from tzara agra, I think that that's an approach. And you know, obviously, an older bacha. Easier, even though yes, more it's a hers, but it's easier to bring this. A younger buck is harder, but I think that in broad strokes, I, I would feel that that's an appropriate uh, strategy. Thank you, and Rabbi Tendler, we hear from you. Yeah, yeah, First of all, I, I you left something out very important from my uh, introduction. I, I am a uh, member. I'm a spaller by Rav David Rebach. That's uh, one of my oh. major, uh, major shvokim. The um, I, I I loved what Rabbi Lapiansky said about uh, vaccination rather than insulation. Um, <clears throat> I think the goal should be that we they should the goal, which is not an easily attainable goal, that they should not want to look. Now I don't mean not want to look because they don't have a yitzhahara. They have a yitzhahara. That they should want to overcome that yitzhahara and. I think the, the family should, could make it, uh, could put it on the table that this is an Aveda, Aveda that we, that we work on with we underline. Now, this is a, a classical case that if the parents are going to say, uh, do as I say, not as I do, if the, parent, if, the, if the children know that the parents are not themselves working on striving for Kedusha and, and, and uh, vaccinating themselves, then it's, it's a lost cause. If, um, and, uh, you know, one of the things that hopefully this, this quarantine taught the parents is they can't rely on the schools. They can't rely on the yeshivas, their partners. And, uh, and especially with the, with the Bokhrim away from the yeshivas for so long, like we only have them half a day because the Mimudichol, they're still doing on Zoom at home. Uh, it's, 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 they're achrayis. They have to role model. They have to make it into an Aveda. And we also have to remember that you can't just... The Aveda can't just be, like Rabbi Lepiansky said, don't do this and don't do that, because in a vacuum, or worse, and um, we have to make sure that, that the children are provided with healthy and positive involvements. Now, if, if parents are zeicher, that they'll have sons who can really get angerton and learning, that's geraldic. Not everybody is zeicher to that easy type of bringing up bringing up children. We have the uh, children and boys and girls to be involved in chesed, um, could be involved. I think it's very important that the family culture has to be warm and comfortable. Uh, the, you have to create a culture in the family where the children have a gishmak just hanging with the, with the family at night, with their siblings, with their parents, and schmoozing. And it had, we, have to, we have to provide a positive and gishmak and pleasant sense of, of this Aveda. It's an Aveda, 
that we together are working on. We parents have Yetzirah too, and we are all working on it, whether it's Menegea, our phones, Menegea, our computers, Menegea in what we read and what we look at. So this is an Aveda, and we're striving, striving for the Kedusha, for the beauty, the beauty and the pleasure of, of the, of the Goy Kodesh. And if it doesn't work, it's like Rabbi Lapiansky. Very good. No, listening to both answers reminds me, um, I've, I've, I've heard of a, 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 um, a Zoyar, this could be a booster shot, there's a special Yetzirah that when a person's walking down the street, makes him turn to see something Matsunua. And I think if our children would know that, that when the person sees something Matsunua, they shouldn't think that, no, they should know that that's a normal thing. The avoid only starts after that, after they catch themselves. And I think that sometimes it's a chizk for people to think, oh, I saw this, I did this. Or in Shemona Esrei, I wasn't thinking. If they know that the first time wasn't necessarily their fault, was the Nisoyen, it's only once they catch themselves, now their avoid starts. I think that could also be a chizk to people. Mm-hmm. Yes, agreed. Okay. Thank you. I'll move on to the second question. How do we give over pride to a firm Jew in a society that pushes an agenda which is the exact opposite? We want our children to really mean it when they say the bracha in the morning, shalom asani goy. The world is, an upside, is upside down when at large it honors celebrities, sports players, and all these type of people who don't share our values, to say the least. Let's not kid ourselves. It is not being kept out of our homes, and our children are being affected by this. How do we give over that pride? Rabbi Kaplan? So, uh, first of all, I, you know, I, I'm not the, uh, overly excited about the way the question is worded as far as Jewish pride. Uh, I would more put it, how do we emphasize our kids that we're different as opposed to uh, pride? And LeBron is obviously public enemy number one for people from Chicago because he is not as good as Michael. So let's get that. Let's just get that clear right away. Uh, even though he wears the same imitation number, so there's been resentment from day one. But uh, you know, want to you want to enjoy, you want to have fun, you want to watch it. Each person wherever he's holding his madrig, as long as it's not a dover osir. But we're not them, that's not us, and it's not a value. And I'd just like to say that this is not only when it comes to the Goyish stars and the Goyish entertainment, this is crept in in the Torah world as well. When you read some of the, some of the magazines, the, uh, the, the so-called uh, from magazines, uh, and you know, the entertainers, especially the musicians, these become Amanda Omar, and now they're, they, they got their hashkav. At the end of the day, he's a singer and he's an entertainer. That's all he is. And he's making more money than Mechanchim. That's all he is. So that we're jealous of. Other than that, other than that, let's draw a line. So when it comes to us and the Goyim, it comes to us and the Goyim, it's the same thing. You want to enjoy it, you can enjoy it. I used to tell my kids, but this all end, I don't want to go too long. I, I used to tell my kids when they would read, you know, Israeli Yeshiva Bakr. So in Israel, you come home and you read the Yatayd or you read one of the Israeli newspapers. I told my kids, listen, if you want to read it because, it's, because you need to relax and enjoy it, you can read, go ahead, relax and enjoy it. If you're reading because you think it's important, then don't read it because it's just not that important. You'll you'll survive fine without knowing exactly who's 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 against who in the political parties, and that you'll you'll be you'll be just fine. 
So we have to emphasize to our kids, we are different. Now, once we know that we're different, and, and, and as Rav Tendler mentioned, that you have a home environment where the parents are living and demonstrating that we're different, and the parents show everything about our home is different, the values are different, we may like, the, the kids will get what they call the Jewish pride. Beautiful, beautiful, thank you. And Rabbi Rebach, say about Jewish pride, or Bacha Bandu. Um, I, I think, you know, the question was, people are looking up to celebrities and sports figures. I think perhaps the bigger danger of the message from the outside world is not admiration for celebrities, but it's actually not looking up to everything and knocking everything and uh, trying to be mevatel and criticize uh, everything, anything that people held with Khashiv, just looking to, to knock down. And that's certainly seeped into our world too. We're much quicker to uh, question people's motives, including Rabbeim, Rabbonim, Askanim. The moment we see something we don't like, we can be very, very fast to, to criticize. And uh, once we have that attitude, it's very hard to have pride in, any, in anything. So there's, a, there's a beautiful essay from a partner in the beginning of uh, first one in Pachad Yitzchak and Purim, Important is sometimes very, very difficult to understand, but this is a very, very understandable, relatable essay. And he talks about what's the root uh, problem of Amalek. And he says, really the problem of Amalek is, is that they don't look up to anything. They just want to knock everything out there. That's why they were the first to attack when they saw, they saw something that people would admire. Okay, we got to knock that down. And he says, that's, that's not really a fixable problem because you can't really show them something to that chashuv to admire because they're going to find a way of knocking that uh, too. So once we allow that into our homes, that uh, we're going to be so quick to find ways of criticizing uh, people and especially uh, community people and rabbeim and rabbanim, it's going to be hard for our children to have uh, pride in anything. It's the opposite. We actually look uh, to uh, admire things and we uh, highlight Things which are which are beautiful, and we uh, somebody did something a chesed. There's a rav we're really looking up to. So then our children will have pride. Now the the, the way is to direct it to the, to the right place. So if they constantly the message that they're getting from us is that a talmud chacham or something a machshiv a person who did a, an askan I didn't do anything about it. I saw somebody else go up and get out of a seat and do something. So maybe I maybe I think I could have done a better job, but I I did nothing. So I'm highlighting what the person did. Then our, our children get uh, that, that message that uh, these are the things which I really value. That's really part of Rav Hutner's uh, essay over there is that the way we, we show what we value is what we praise. And the things we praise, that shows uh, that's the true things that, that we value. If we, if we do that and we're praising, we're highlighting things we think are important, I think our children will grow up with pride for, for, for that. Sorry, yeah, if before we go into the next question, just to, to to add something, perhaps continuing what um Rabbi Rebach said, I I would like to take a little bit of issue with the pride concept. And I think that um a Yehuda Ben Tamer who says have a az kenamer, audacious as a leopard, understood. By the Ramah as loyis bayesh bifnaya maligin alav b'torah Hashem, not to be embarrassed in front of those who make fun of us in Torah Hashem. 
I think that implies that we have to have a certain level of pride in our Yiddishkeit, pride in the Torah, pride in our history. And uh, I think when a person is secure in their own identity, a person is secure in their own history, a person is secure in their belief in the Torah, we don't need to put down everyone and everything. That's just what I'd like to uh, addend to the previous comments. Very nice, thank you. We'll move on to the next question. My children are really scared about the rise in anti-Semitism and how we can be physically hurt by it. The Israeli Ministry of Diaspora Affairs just released a report on anti-Semitism for the year 2020. It says that the COVID-19 was used as a pretext to spread anti-Semitic theories. Just one of these campaigns was viewed by hundreds of millions of viewers just on Twitter. And that's just one campaign. There are many more details in the report, but in short, they're predicting a difficult year and a rise in anti-Semitism for 2021. My children want me to get a gun. They claim they will feel safer. My wife and I are not sure if we should or shouldn't. What is the proper hashkafa about this, and how much is the proper hishtabos? Rabbi Becher. Yes, so uh, it's a good question. Um, in terms of getting a gun, uh, you know, I don't know if that is the <laughs> ultimate solution here. Um, I think there is reason to be concerned with anti-Semitism. <laughs> uh, that is not an idle... I don't think he meant the submachine gun. Oh, I'm sorry. Not okay. Right. Um, I don't think that's an idle concern. I think it is a. I think it is a real concern. Anti-Semitism. I don't know. Depending on where you live, I don't know the solutions to get a gun. First of all, uh, according to the American Medical Association, the journal, um, there is a there there is a huge amount of uh, deaths, accidental homicides caused by weapons that people have in their homes. I think one of the problems is they don't have proper training. Uh, having a weapon when you do not have proper training is extremely dangerous. Uh, certainly, uh, any type of a long gun, AR-15, etc., when you don't know how to operate within a confined house, etc., incredibly dangerous to the inhabitants and everyone else. A pistol, you need training. So I don't know if the solution is just to get a gun, but I think there should be, appropriate establishments should be making people aware of the dangers and, and training children and training adults in awareness of situational awareness is what they call it in the army, to be aware of the situation, to trust your instincts. If you feel something is wrong, if you feel there's something weird, then yeah, trust that instinct. Fear is something which Hashem placed within us so that the human organism can protect itself from danger. Uh, ignoring fear and ignoring our instincts and ignoring a nervousness this guy doesn't seem to be quite right. Why is he offering to do this, etc.? That's not a good thing. Personal protectional experts do advise that one should take into account one's fears and and uh, and and have that situational awareness and awareness of what's what's the problem. So I think training of some sort should be offered. I don't know if most parents are not capable of doing this because they haven't been trained themselves. Um, but uh, I think communities or schools should provide some level of that. I'm not suggesting weapons training and martial arts. 
right? I'm suggesting just training in awareness of situations, how to avoid trouble, how to avoid conflict, etc., etc. I think um, Chazal tell us, teach your child how to swim, right? Now, uh, swimming, depending on where I grew up in Australia, swimming was part of the school curriculum, right? Uh, if you, you know, because everyone had pools and all the major cities are on beaches, right? So you've got to know how to swim. That's a survival uh, requirement. Um, I think included in that might be, depending on where you live, uh, uh, some level of self-defense training would be a good idea, right? Uh, whether it's, uh, whether, you know, Krav Maga, MMA, whatever, whatever it may be, I don't think it's a bad thing. And uh, getting back to the, the first question, I think it also might be helpful too. You know, kids have lots of energy and uh, extracurricular activities, I think, are very good. I think they're advantageous. They get some of the energy out, right? They train, they, 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 they give you a little level of physical fitness. And also it's helpful psychologically to maintain a certain equilibrium, right? Uh, yeah, it is unfortunate. Uh, uh, kids who don't have that type of release, kids who don't have that type of recreational activity will indeed resort to the, what was it, a chair leg uh, and the, uh, and the, the, you know, the, the, <laughs> The demonstrations, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's a. I think that's a real. I think it's a real problem. I think that if we're suppressing the child's energy and suppressing the child's needs for recreational activities, then they're going to come out in other negative ways. I think a positive way to utilize that might be some level of self-defense training, which is available in the Frum community and it's available uh, with Frum instructors, etc. And it doesn't mean that you're not turning the child. Uh, into a into a beast, right? Uh, just having some very basic skills, primarily to avoid conflict, as opposed to actually engaging in conflict. Okay, thank you, uh, Rabbi Tembler. You have yes. to say. Um, okay. As uh, yeah. Okay. So whoever posed this question has uh, posed it that their children are scared. Uh, first thing, our parents have to realize that um, children take the parents' language a little differently than the parents meant it. A father or a mother who says they're scared about the situation, that can be interpreted by a six, seven, eight, or 12-year-old much differently. They didn't mean that I really want to hide under my mattress. So you have to be very, very careful with the, with the language. Um, I think one of the no, look, we're all searching for, we want a Navi to come tell us what is the Kodesh Baruch doing with this pandemic. We're living in time of Hester Bonim. And that doesn't mean that, that without a Navi, we don't take lessons. And um, I mean, one of the things that to me is glaring is that a Kodesh Baruch seems to want us to feel insecure in Golis. We are in Golis. And we're in one of the most secure feeling Golios that we've ever had Kaddish Baruch Hu, it seems, wants, look at, look at 20, the year 2020. We can't go outside without a mask, right? We're afraid of our health. Um, we're, we're, we're living in a society that is disrespecting law and order. They want to defund the police. We're living in a society that is denigrating any type of, of absolute religious values. We're living in a society 
that um, is totally perverting anything rational. On one hand, they want to follow the science, and the other hand, there's no difference between the man and the woman. I mean, and the whole morality and, and, and the ethics of a society, like, where, where, where do we feel secure? We feel insecure. It, it's not unhealthy to emphasize to the children that, yeah, we're living in times that we are insecure, and they should have to internalize that, that knowledge and that, that awareness. Does it translate itself to an unhealthy frightening? If it is, then the parents have to think that maybe there's an exposure that's unhealthy. Do the parents have the radio on in the car every single time they're in the car? They hear the Mishigas and every 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 BLM, what is it? The base, right? BLM. And then every protest and every fire and every every time a policeman gets shot. Um, that I think we have to minimize the exposures. That's the discussion around the table all the time. I think the parents have to ha have to discuss the hashkafic of the issue, the hashkafavest upon him, the fact that the the um, the extreme level of security that Jews have felt in the United States of America for so long may be an aberration and may be coming to an end, and maybe the first item of of sheshtadlus. And make sure that every single one of your children and grandchildren have a valid passport, because who knows? Who knows? The, um, uh, in terms of a gun, I don't know, there are people I can think of in the community, of mine, that if they would have a gun, I would just, bar I would just board myself up in my house and be afraid to go out. <laughs> I, I, I think that uh, I, I don't want to talk about guns in, 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 in public. I also don't think that it's healthy, Rabbi Becher, I'm sorry, I'm going to disagree about emphasizing self-defense and Krav Maga and Karate and Judo. And I, I, not that the, the communities as a whole should not be increasing security and high-profile targets like shuls and schools and the Hulu and the Awir and, and the Shomrim patrols, of course. But in terms of chinuch of our children, that because of anti-Semitism, I want you to be able to bash the head in of somebody who's going to call you a Jew. I, 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 don't, I don't think so. I think we should take this opportunity to, to introspect about what it merely means to be in Golos and uh, how we improve our tefillah and our Aveda as a result of that. Yeah. I, I should just, uh, in defense of myself, self-defense here. Uh, as long as, as, long as it's not with a gun, not with a gun. I'm not advocating we should bash in that we should train the kids to bash in the head of someone who calls me a Jew. I did not advocate that or say that. What I did say, though, is that one should have some level of training how to avoid conflict as much as possible. Oh, if okay. one is, that's what I said. And how if one is in a state of conflict, how to defend oneself. I think those would be appropriate. It doesn't contradict the idea of being in Golos to have some level of hishtadlis of that sort. Agreed. But Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Goodman, may, can I just add something? Yes. Was Rabbi Tetler going to say something? Was Rabbi Tetler going to say something? No, no, no. Okay. no, no. no so I, I just wanted to say that, uh, you know, the way the question was asked, I, I, I think maybe maybe because I'm so far away, I heard a different question. But uh, um, first, you know, when you brought up the question of the husband, uh, you know, husband and wife, why not, why not you get guns? I thought that was because they're locked up together during this uh, COVID and they want to use it on each other. So I'm glad to hear that's not the issue. Um, but I think that the question about anti-Semitism, I think what has to be educated to kids is go back to the basics that Asa Sonei Liako, 
And with all of the, we see the work, so much Ishtadlis in there, so much uh, publicity in college campuses, and, and we haven't seen any downturn in anti-Semitism with all of the uh, ambassadorship and all the trying to do this, that, and the other. And Chazal has told us that nothing's going to help. There's always going to be anti-Semitism. And I understood that there was a question, how do you deal, how do you explain the anti-Semitism to the kids? And there's a, there will be anti-Semitism, and we have to understand that's the reality of the world. Now, what do we do? That's already, you know, whether it's the gut or the, the self-defense, I'm not going to get into that, whether, whether I agree with it or not. But certainly that they should understand the hashkafa shabo, that there's always going to be anti-Semitism. And that none of the what what we read about also again in the Jewish magazines and that we tried this and this we tried to go and publicize how, how good we are and we showed over here none of it's worked none of it we haven't seen any 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 down ticket after seven if anything has gone up and therefore that's going to be with us and that's the basic hashkaf I think the kids should know. Okay, I just wanted to clarify, Rabbi Tendler, I understood we talked towards that that. Um, that you were saying that the community as a community should, yes, be doing something. Is that, is that correct in understanding that? That, that, is, that is correct, yes. I'll move on to the next question, which could be maybe Rabbi Kaplan touched on, but first, I'm sure that this is unfortunately an age-old question. My boys have been in a situation where they have been taunted for being Jewish. They were in a place where they weren't able to just walk away. I told my boys that they should just ignore them, but they wanted to argue with them. When I warned my boys that they might end up getting beaten up or worse, chas they act all macho and say they'll be happy to fight them. What can I tell them is the right approach halachically and why? Rabbi Lopiansky? Um, I think it, it's in terms of chinuch, it should be part of a broader chinuch. What happens if somebody in my class calls me stupid or fat or whatever name? And the understanding that the, the person's remarks are only meaningful in the context of how I take them. And, the, and the, usually the most sensitive about something for instance, imagine the kid who's a failing kid turns to the uh, you know the genius of the class and says, "You're stupid." Uh, it, it, it you know it, it's it doesn't phase you. You 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 know it's you, you find it amusing. Um, understanding being baited. I always tell my kids one of the bad things about um, Goyesha culture, even stuff that is not quote unquote chef. I told them when we were kids. The kosher um, TV shows and movies were the westerns. Reverend Shalom remembers that because they had no women. Though they didn't hang out with women those days. <laughs> so the general mahalach, the, the 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 general theme of a western movie went like this: somebody was sitting and drinking, somebody came over and assaulted him, and a real man draws his gun and either gets shot or shoots. That was kind of the, the, the basic. You say that you say this of, of life was. That real bit. Now, understanding, getting an understanding of as a person, why does it bother me? And what's the purpose? A person doesn't act without a purpose. There's, there's a story from the Gedolim Balamusa, 
which which really should be should, should be told a lot more than some Mephism stories because it's a bigger Mephist and more educational. In in Kovna, after Rabbi Sol was Nifta, there was a big backlash against the Musa movement, led by Rabbi Tzachanin's son and so on. Kiedor, the Pol Musa Musa. So the Rabbanim called a meeting, Rabbanim by and large against the Musa movement, and they invited Reb Itzel Petterberger and the Alta to defend Musa. You know, they, they, that was like the, the And they had a long evening with a lot of lashing in. They heard the, the points, and then they got up and they said, good evening, gentlemen, and they left. And ben, I think that was the Tkufa when, when, when the Alta left Yeshiva, you know, and, and they, they make Knesset Yisrael instead of Knesset Yisrael. And the point of it was, they asked him, why didn't you answer? He said, I didn't see the purpose in it. They weren't ready to listen. They wouldn't understand. To, to engage in a mutual clearing of the lungs is not a productive thing. So a person needs to understand what is the tachlis. You're getting involved in something serious because it could lead to blows. So understand yourself, why does it bother you? Um, you know, and, and, and understand that acting, especially when it's an emotional situation, needs, you ask yourself first, what's the tachlis? There's a famous, one of the greatest uh, military figures, Van Clausewitz, famously said, a war is something you do to gain something that you can't gain by other means. In other words, it's a tool, but but there are other tools that are a lot less expensive and 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 a lot easier to to to, to do. I think kids should get a chinuch. What's the point of it? Why is so why is so wild up by it? Why does it bother you so much? Because you're Jew. The answer is because you need to be accepted by the street, and you don't feel comfortable with yourself. Be comfortable with yourself and feel good about yourself. Understand who you are and and so on. Rav Shach told me once, he said, when, when the pirates, it was, was a rabid anti-Semite in Europe, he said, it didn't, you know, unless he harmed me, it didn't bother me. He said, it's like a mad dog barking. It's dangerous, maybe, but, but, but I'm not upset or assaulted. And I think understanding the general mechanism of being emotionally driven by someone else and being able to respond with Seichel and Das focus on what's the tachlis, I think that that's the real lesson that you need to impart. So, so you're saying that it's kind of, a, it's a litmus test. If a person is bothered by being taunted for being it's Jewish, you're saying he's, exactly. he's not proud of it. You're not proud of it. You really are insecure because the, the, the real reason why someone is insecure about it is because as an American, you want to be accepted by them. So, so you feel when you're walking and the American looks at you and says, Jew boy, it's like, it's like the kid in the class that everybody bullies him. It, it's, it's, he wants to be accepted by them and, 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 they're, and they're not. So down deep, it's like you spoke before about missing the sense of and also the idea of being able to understand yourself to the degree where, when do I respond? Why do I respond? And, and being able to be mashed at on the regular, so I think those are two very important lessons. Okay, very interesting. Next question. Um, my kids 
preteens and teens get into arguments that which weren't taking place in my house. My daughter feels bad about systemic racism and how the blacks aren't being treated fairly. Is that okay to say blacks or should I say colored people? Not sure. Blacks. It's colored blacks. people as Alabama in the 1930s. Oh, so blacks is right. Okay, she got it right. I said she feels sensitive to their plight, but I think that more than sensitivity, she's being influenced by propaganda. My boys, well, I don't want to say exactly what they say, because it's not very nice. I feel like both sides are too extreme. What is the Torah perspective on this? And how can I explain it to my children? And one second, Rabbi Revach, there's a second part to this question. And she writes, another point of contention is showing disrespect towards the flag and the Pledge of Allegiance. As religious Jews, how much should we care about that? Rabbi Revach. <laughs> hey, um, I, I think as far as your sons first. So ultimately, racist language is, is unrefined. It's not the way a Ben Torah speaks. And it just not the language you have in your house or at your table. Um, it's probably too late for this person. Um, got to start early. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think any of the Rebbeim that I admired would speak uh, badly, about, you know, racist language about, uh, about, uh, about a group of people. And just not something you allow in your home. You start early and your kids will grow up uh, with that. Don't know if you can start when they're ready, 15 and talking uh, and talking in, in, in that way. Um, in general, there's, we teach a lot to our children by the way they see we treat our non-Jewish workers and our household help and uh, people who are very different uh, than us. And when we see that we are, when they see that we treat them with respect and with kindness, I think they, lot, they learn a lot of good meters uh, for, from that. I know uh, my mother-in-law, when she passed away, so she had a housekeeper for a long time and she said that I would have come work for free if need be, just because the way that I was treated uh, in, in, in the house. So we have a lot of kinuch that we could give over the way we treat people who are very different than us. That's as far as your sons, as far as the daughter. Um, so I don't know why you're questioning her sincerity. Um, probably she is very sincere about, uh, about the plight of the blacks in, in our society. Um, I certainly wouldn't question it to her face. Um, if you really want to have a nuanced conversation with her, you probably have to a little bit educate yourself um, about what's going on. It means we might disagree a lot with the, with the goals of Black Life or the way they, 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 they want to do the Black Life Matter movement, um, you know, defunding the police and riots. Um, it's counterproductive for themselves and probably their leadership is failing them. But the problems, we don't really know the problems. And uh, Someone, if you educate yourself, you might be able to have a much more nuanced conversation with her. You know, I, I recently sat with, had a conversation with a um, gare who's black, and he was telling me when he was uh, growing up, so being stopped by the police was just a reality of life. If you, he says, if you wear a certain uh, jacket, you were stopped. And if you didn't talk uh, with deference, you would get arrested. So he said, that's just the way he grew up. And uh, he told me he's married now, his wife is white, and uh, he was recently in, a, in a, a, a Jewish store shopping. And when he left, his wife was crying and he asked her what's wrong. So she said, didn't you see that the 
owner was following you around, you know, to make sure you're not uh, stealing something. So he said, yeah, I saw, but I'm used to that. That's, that's, uh, that's just the reality. So I think if you, if you don't get all the information from Yeshiva World News, you educate yourself, you can have a more nuanced conversation with your daughters. That means to say that the problem could be a problem. Unfortunately, the way they might be doing it with riots and uh, is hurting themselves and counterproductive, and then you can really get into a conversation. But just uh, um, I think that won't get the, uh, your, daughter, your daughter listening. Um, as far as the flag, you know, Chazal tell us you should be and uh, we might not say an official uh, payer in the shuls, in many shuls, but uh, Chazal saying part of our tefillahs that it's necessary to have a strong malchus or else things fall apart. And we so much uh, see that. And uh, one of the brachas of COVID is that the economy didn't fall apart. And had it, fall, had it collapsed, we would have uh, much more riots and uh, chaos uh, going on. So uh, we have to be davening for, it should be part of our tools to be davening for Shlomo Shalmalchus. And of course, respecting the institutions of the government is extremely important. Whether it's the flag or the Pledge of Allegiance, those are, those are part of making sure we have a strong uh, government that shouldn't be yeah, so um, I, I certainly believe that there is uh, racism does exist. I mean, it's a you know that's uh, uh, an issue of um, uh, reality. Uh, it exists not only in the world in general, but it exists within the from world. Um, and as I'm knowing students of mine who uh, are black. Um, and uh, students who are uh, have one or two students who are Asian and Gayrim, etc., they have experienced racism from within our community. Rub Yaakov Kamenetsky and Emesli Yaakov points out that uh, the existence of people like Shmaya and Avtalion, Ben Heihe and Ben Bugbug, etc., Gayrim, who reach the highest levels of the Torah community, indicates that we do not judge people by their race and indeed a person should be accepted uh, as an individual. And uh, judging people as individuals, I think is the essence as opposed to just by the group uh, that you uh, belong to by virtue of how much melatonin set you have in your, in your skin. So, so I think there is, uh, there is something that to be said for, the, for the, your daughter's sensitivity um, and uh, whether it's systemic is another question. I would debate that uh, in the United States. It's not clear, um, you know, people, uh, people of color and people of various races can reach the highest levels in the United States government, the United States uh, armed forces, et cetera. And um, uh, so, so whether it's systemic or not, but that's certainly it's a, it's a reality and certainly correct for us as Jews uh, not to be part of that. Uh, and, uh, and certainly our language, if we're always using language which is derogatory towards other groups, we could disagree as much as we want. 
But if the, if the child is always hearing us say, I don't know, uh, let's say expressions like, uh, tell the goita to bring me this, or the shiksa, or the shegets, or the goi, or the goi, that's language which is, I think, not, not necessarily appropriate. And I don't think it engenders um, a, a delicacy of speech, which, as Rabbi Revach said, is appropriate for a, for a ben Torah and appropriate for a Jew. So, um, so I think yeah, the middle ground to recognize that racism does exist um, and uh, to, to I, I maybe for the boys who, uh, who do use these expressions, you could, you could point out to them, how do you feel when someone drives by and calls you a dirty Jew. That doesn't, you know, so, so yes, Rav, Le- Rav Lopiansky's point is well taken. It shouldn't make you feel bad, but it does, right, for a lot of these kids. And you can say that, you know, just, uh, you know, Mada Alech Sane Lachafrech Loisavit, right? There's a, the basic idea. So that is as far as that's concerned. As far as the uh, disrespect towards the flag um, and, uh, and the uh, Pledge of Allegiance, etc. Yeah, you know, there's, there's no question. Not only do Chazal tell us to be mispal for Shlomo Shomalchus, the Mishnah of Pirkeovus and the Gemara of Odazora, but it actually is based on Psukim in Yirmiyahu, who says to Davin for the, for the city in which we find ourselves, the country which we find ourselves, and the existence of a tefillah for Shlomo Shomalchus is found as early as 15th century. In fact, there's a Siddur, uh, with Hanoisen Chula Malachim from Spain. I actually saw it at Sotheby's. I did not buy it because I'm a Machanech. So, um, uh, so anyway, but um, uh, it has a prayer for King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella of Spain, who are responsible, of course, for the expulsion in 1492. Um, so, uh, because we understand, as Rivera said, that organized government is better than anarchy in most cases. Not always, but in most cases, it's better than anarchy. And hence, uh, uh, yes, Hakarasatov, and two, pragmatic reality that we do want. Uh, we do want. And, to, and, and by the way, especially if you're living in a democracy like Australia, uh, the United States, Canada, England, etc., where we enjoy equal rights, freedom of religion, freedom of movement, freedom of, uh, of economic pursuit, etc. There's a tremendous amount of Hakaristov. It's an, it is, as Rav Tendler said, uh, historically an aberration. Uh, that's not what we've been used to throughout history. The fact that we do have these privileges, the fact that we do have these rights is something for which we must have tremendous gratitude and express that gratitude. The Hassan Soifer writes in a tshuva that he actually blamed certain there were some there were some outbreaks of uh, of anti-Semitism and and one of he places the blame upon community leaders who did not emphasize enough that people should be mispalal for Shlomo Shalmalchus and express publicly their gratitude and their allegiance to the government in which they find themselves uh, especially when it's a benevolent government as it is in the uh, United States so I think it, I think it's very important to emphasize. Uh, for the uh, for the for children, this idea the, of the Hakaras Tov and the loyalty and uh, and the pragmatic the pragmatic benefits of having a government versus anarchy. Very good, Alexander. I'd just like to add one thing briefly regarding the daughter who's sensitive to the plight of minorities. I think the most important message to her um, is to prevent any sakuna 
is that she has to differentiate between the validation of her concern for the minorities and very corrupt and dangerous and militant movements that, rep that, that purport to represent those minorities, which we know are extremely dangerous for her to be sympathetic with. It could be pointed out to her that a raya barura to their internal corruption is that they disrespect the flag and they disrespect the United States of America. They disrespect anything that has given them the right to be Meshugayim. And uh, I think the, the, that dichotomy, yes, your, your sensitivities are correct and we'll do whatever we can. As Rabbi Revach says beautifully, the way we treat people, but the movements are, I mean, that we have to, we can't, we, can't, we can't mince words in pointing out how corrupt and dangerous those movements are. Right, 100%. Beautiful, thank you. Okay, next question is, this has been an extremely stressful year for me and my family. COVID and its side effects have wreaked havoc on our home. The stress levels have sometimes been through the roof. With no end in sight due to new strains and viruses, how are we supposed to keep some sense of normality at home? Rabbi Tembler. Yes, uh, normalcy is a very, very elusive goal for most of us. The, um, I think on a pragmatic level, the first thing for parents to try to identify is whether or not there are pre-existing conditions for that stress that have nothing to do with COVID. There may be children, there may be stresses with children, emotional issues, um, and there may be st financial stresses, maybe may relationship stresses between parent and child, between spouses that are just being exacerbated by the, um, by the quarantine. Um, I think they, they, they have to know what they're dealing with. Are they dealing with something that, that should have been taken care of before, is now being just being uh, coming to the forefront, or um, is it really just that we're on top of each other 24 seven. They have to identify if it's pre-existing conditions, there's no simple solution to that, but they have to, you have to know what you're dealing with. Identifying the problem and understanding the problem is, is definitely part of the solution. Again, the parents have to set the tone. The parents have to set the tone. If they're going to be falling apart, then the children will. Um, that's the responsibility of parents is the buck stops here. They have to, they have to set the tone. They have to, again, they have to, first of all, they have to stop talking about it. Stop talking about how terrible the quarantine is because it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And working to, uh, to create that sense of comfort and warmth in the home, uh, perhaps giving, giving children, those for whom it's suitable, more, more individuality. Maybe somebody wants to learn to play an instrument and move away from the family fireplace chat, that's okay. You can't, you can't, let's not force the, uh, the cocoa and popcorn and everybody to sit together. Maybe this, this one likes to read more and uh, give them a chance to be more of an individual. Bitochen, I've heard from, I'm sure Rabbi Lapiansky has also heard from Rabbi Chaim Shmalevitz many, many times that his Rebbe, his Rebbe or Leib Hasman said that uh, the most difficult, the most difficult uh, concept in the Yiddishkeit to understand is bitoko. It is. It's a very difficult concept. And uh, you know, how do we, how do we in this uh, think tank, how do we give over? All, all I could say is just to present the goal. 
the goal of Bitochen, as articulated by 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 Rabbi Bachi Hazake in the Chavis Alvaves, is the menuchas hanefesh of knowing there's no happenstance in the world, and everything that happens is up to Kadosh Baruch Hu. Gives menuchas hanefesh to me. That the, the to me the, the most wonderful example of that is when 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 Yoav finds himself um, finds himself surrounded by uh, Amon and 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 Aram, and he. It, it, tells his kid brother, Vishai, brilliant strategy, how they're going to fight off this ambush. And he, he says, I don't remember the exact words, you know, Chazak, Chazak, and the last words is, Hashem, Hashem, that's Bitochen. Bitochen is, I am in good hands, we are in good hands. We're making whatever Hishtadlus we can possibly make but um, this is a goal. Now, you, you sit around the table, the, the children are scared and children are quibbling and saying, telling them the Rabbi Nabachia, no. But parents have to know that this is the goal. How to get to the goal, we're not going to be able to teach our regalachas. But that is the goal of Bitochen. Um, yeah, and they should stop talking about it. They should stop talking about it. They should also identify what in the family routine has really been knocked off kilter. What, what is it? What is it that's different now that's been knocked off kilter? Did they not eat supper together? So what was they doing before? Um, what, what's, what, what if, was the family doing things together before? Maybe it was going to a local park that they can't do. They could drive away and go on a hike someplace up to PCH. The, uh, there are things, find out what's different and what's causing the stress. And I wish them all much hatzlacha. If it doesn't work, call Rabbi Lapiansky. Okay, well, we'll hear from Rabbi Yapiansky right now about it. <laughs> um, you know, we grew up in in two bedroom apartments, and uh, there wasn't much you know where to go around anywhere. And somehow today we have a house for Hashem, and it's still difficult. I, I, I want to. I, I think Rav has touched on a lot of important points. I want to maybe just uh, I think describe it. I think first of all, um, the the thing I guess if, if I want to give a title, maybe of what caused the biggest problem, is the aimlessness. You know, it's like when you give kids a vacation, and you tell them do whatever you want, it's a horrible vacation. If you tell them it's football in the morning, softball in the afternoon, arts and crafts at night, and so on, a lack, an aimlessness, is the worst thing. So I would like to describe it in two or three levels. First of all, Nashkafa Klolis. I think at some point, say, Rabbi Isai, HaKadosh Baruch Hu runs our lives. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has put Klolisol many through many different kufis, and we sit and we talk about the heroism in World War II and the heroism in Siberia and the heroism here. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given us a tiny, tiny difficult period. Be'ez Hashem, it'll be over soon. But Yosa, I mean, so every day that goes by that we do what we have to do, um, we, we've accomplished something. It is, I mean, basically, every one of us feels frustrated because we haven't done enough this year. We haven't, it's, it's like what we thought we were going to do, we didn't do. So, 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 but if this is obviously, somehow Hashem wanted us to do this. So let's mark off on the calendar every day that we did what we were supposed to do. And 
this year we may have accomplished less material than we learned, but we learned it under harsher circumstances. So a positive attitude in terms that if the Kaddish said this as the Nisoyen, this is an accomplishment. Two, I think having a routine in the house is critical. It's like my kids at the beginning of COVID, most of my kids, half my kids did not to Israel. So we used to, we used to have a Zoom share every day with my kids in America and to Israel. And one of my kids said, the most important thing is to remember that promptly 9.30 in the evening to change your pajamas. That's the most important um, you know, routine. But the, the truth is, if establish routine, that is something that will, that will, and it'll help avoid, in other words, if you're not doing anything and the other siblings are not doing anything and the parents are doing anything, it's inevitable that you, will, that you will step over each other. But if you're busy doing this, you're busy doing this, you're busy doing this, the, the kids at some point will begin to, to want to hold up to because it's the only thing that gives structure. And a third suggestion, and again, I think Abshal mentioned it. Um, let's make, let's say a kid has a project a long time that he wanted to do. He wanted to learn how to play an instrument. He wanted to learn how to another language. He wanted to, whatever it is, this is a good time. School is much less. There's a lot more free time. Let's dedicate time and mark yourself how well you're doing and going weiter. So again, it gives you a sense of accomplishment and purpose. Those are the things I think that can be helpful in, in at least, because the, the, the bottom line frustration is we're going nowhere and, and, and we don't even know when we'll get to nowhere. So, so at least there's a somewhere, there's routine, there's things that we're accomplishing that we wouldn't be able to normally accomplish and a sense of, of, of Hashkafa, uh, that Akash Baruch runs the world, and he decided that we're going to go through a year of this difficulty. We did it a little better, a little shvacha. It's an accomplishment. It's something that, that became part of us in, in, in as much as we were able to do it. Very good. Okay, thank you. I'll move on to the... Pardon? Yes? I don't hear you. Just to add something here, um, that um, there, are, uh, there are also um, some important techniques, which both Rav Lobhiansky and Rav Tandler um, mentioned, but uh, there are techniques which there's been some tremendous amount of empirical uh, studies regarding them in the field of positive psychology, Tal Ben Shachar um, and, uh, and others, um, and, uh, you know, for example, the expression of gratitude on a regular basis um, for even small things will increase that. Rebuda Levy says that's one of the purposes of Brochus is to express gratitude on a regular basis for everything will make you happier. It won't make you happy. It'll make you happier. And expressing gratitude, acts of chesed, giving, acts of kindness, if you can do acts of chesed on a regular basis, even without expenditure of money, but acts of chesed will also make you happier. Uh, uh, flow. What's a flow experience? Is when you, whatever you're doing, immerse yourself in it at that moment. It will be a rewarding, a self-rewarding experience, and it will make it that much more uh, meaningful. 
and it will actually increase your overall happiness. So whatever you happen to be doing around, you know, in those situations, if it's done, if A, you express gratitude, B, you do acts of chesed, C, you have flow experiences, and D, remember Moshe Shapiro uh, emphasizing something, says, we say, Yismach Lev Mavakshay Hashem. It is not someone who's found, but someone who's involved in the process. That when you are moving, when you are making progress, you will be happier. The less significant the area in which you are making progress, the less impact it will have. But any progress a person's making will make that person happier. The human being is designed, we are called mahalech, mahalech, an ambulatory creature moving, and that will make us happier. So progress whether it, as Rav Lopiansky said, in a musical instrument, in learning a language, in whatever it is, you make progress, you'll also be happier. Right, thank you. The practical advice. Okay, next question. My husband and I became religious after we married for a few years. We were both vegan, not for health reasons, but because we wanted to prevent exploitation and cruelty of animals. It didn't take too long for my husband to start enjoying a good steak, but I still can't reconcile, reconcile myself with the cruelty of the treatment of animals. How can I raise my children to be sensitive, caring people when they will be eating food at the expense of abusing animals? Rabbi Rebach. I can tell you, first of all, you shouldn't do. Um, you know, if your family is having a barbecue and they're enjoying the burgers and you're taking your veggie burger, which looks uh, unappetizing and you're eating it in their face, that's not gonna be a winning battle. Um, you just, kids will just resent it and uh, your message is not, gonna, is not gonna work. So I, I think you gotta look at the bigger picture. The bigger picture is you wanna have children you're saying who are sensitive and caring there's a lot, a lot of opportunities every day to um, model to being sensitive and caring for people around us. And uh, if you do that, you will, God willing, have sensitive and caring children. And uh, ultimately, they'll be sensitive and caring to everything. And that will include uh, animals too. So if you want to keep being a vegetarian for yourself, it's your thing. And you can keep on doing that. But it shouldn't be something that you're, every time the kids are eating something, some enjoyable meat or burgers, you're going to be lecturing them. You're not, that's not going to be a, a winning uh, battle uh, at all. You can model it with people. There's so many opportunities. And I think uh, if you model it, you will have sensitive and caring children. On a practical level, if, if animals is something that you really want to specifically target, probably if you buy your kid a pet and you teach them uh, how to take care, care for it, that would probably do something for animals too. But uh, I don't think it's necessary. You can be, the people around us, you can be sensitive to, caring to, and your kids will grow up sensitive, caring to all Hashem's creations. Very good. Okay. Rabbi Becher. I was on a plane uh, once. Uh, I got my kosher food. They served first in order to exacerbate anti-Semitism. And uh, the... Um, <laughs> The woman next to me um, said, is that, is that special meat? I said, yes, it's kosher food. She says, but isn't that meat? I said, yes, it's, it's kosher meat. She said, 
I don't eat other animals. I said, Madam, neither do I. And it, of course, went over her head. But what I, my response was that we see humans and animals as qualitatively different. We are not just in a continuum right, of, of, of IQ, primates, etc., humans, and so on and so forth. R rather, we are qualitatively different. We have a soul. We have free will. We are B'Tselem Elohim. The animals are not. Now, therefore, I do have a right to eat animals. And even from a secular perspective, um, you know, I think a good argument can be made for the rights of human. For example, would anyone protest of a whale eating thousands of zooplankton and shrimp and prawn? No, <laughs> whales are the mass murderers of the oceans. They commit herring genocide on a regular basis. Right? Why do we not object? Because they're at the top of the food chain. That's what they do. If you consider the human being another animal, there's absolutely no objection whatsoever to us eating other animals because that's standard practice in the natural world. If you see the human being as we do, as intrinsically qualitatively different from the animals, uh, we, have, we have a right because we use them for our purposes, which is a higher purpose. Having said all that, it's certainly true that the Torah tells us that we have to be sensitive towards the suffering of an animal. The Rambam points out in Morahan of Uchim, that when, when Bilam was going to curse Klal Yisrael, who was, he, was, uh, he was rebelling against the word of Hashem. He's cursing the nation that Hashem chose. The first thing the Malach says to Bilam is, Al -mahi kisa es what are you hitting your donkey for? It's like the Rambam says you know, in Morhan of Uchim that that, that that shows the importance of Tzab Alechaim. The first thing he says to him, it's like a guy shot up a bank armed robbery he's 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 run he knocks over people in the car as he's escaping the the police surround the car and the first thing the officer says is your tail light is out right but the rambam is telling us it shows how important sabalachim is and the rambam also says that the fact that animals feel pain and not just physical pain but they feel emotional pain because emotional pain is long, not linked to intelligence or to the soul. It's something that animals feel. That means we have to be sensitive. So it's correct to be sensitive. I remember asking Ramosha Shapiro, Oliver Shalom, asked him about, there's a product called milk-fed veal, which is, it's in which the calf is taken from the mother as soon as it's born. It's confined into a pen so that it cannot move. That way its muscles Will 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 uh, will be, will stay soft. Um, it is uh, it is um, uh, it's treated in a horrific fashion, and then shechted. So I told this to Ramoisha, and he said he says it's osser. I, I said it is permitted by the the FDA allows it. It's uh, it's not trafe. He says he says that's because lobby, right? So the the right, but but he was he felt that was absolutely wrong, and and there was a sensitivity. That we do have to have. Indeed, in certain aspects of factory farming, there is tremendous abuse and and cruelty towards the animals. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I I I know I know that kashrus does reduce that somewhat because a lot of the uh, a lot of the processes in factory farming that are used 
will render the animal trafe. So Baruch Hashem, it's already incorporated to some degree in the system. Uh, so, so on the one hand, we have to emphasize, important to emphasize that humans and animals are intrinsically different. A lot of children's books do a great disservice because we grow up looking at animals in books talking and, and you know, whether it's the Berenstein Bears, one of the worst books in the history of mankind, etc., right, uh, and, and other things like that. So it, it, it anthropomorphizes animals, which is very, which is not good. Right? We have to understand that animals, humans, different. And we are, we are indeed superior. Now, I would also emphasize that it's not animal rights that we are focused on, but it's human obligation. We have chiyuvim. We have obligations to be sensitive and to treat animals in an appropriate way. Kashrus, as the Rambam explains, a lot of it is actually about that, right? The hilcheshchita and so on and so on and so on and so forth which are a matter of having some level of sensitivity. Uh, so I, I think we have to try to strike a balance between on the one hand, understanding without apology that humans have rights over animals and the animals are intrinsically not humans, etc. And on the other hand, also explain that the Torah obligates us to treat animals with, with sensitivity, not to cause them either physical or emotional pain to the extent possible, but if it's the if it is for our uh, needs, right, then that's okay. So the uh, question is what's already needs, but that's that's a, another that's another question. Robert Goodman, can I add something? Um, the uh, you know, I think that the question that the, the, the lady who is a Balas Shiva, uh, she was asking about uh, uh, she was the concern that her children would become insensitive. Uh, because of eating uh, eating meat, I think that we first of all, uh, you know, she, we have to empathize with her a little bit where she's coming from. She was a vegetarian, and uh, you know, so to her, it's, it seems that way. But I think we have to emphasize to her: we really haven't found that people who eat kosher meat uh, are are really the most insensitive uh, people in society. If you go to a, any federal penitentiary, uh, most of the people there are not people who you'd see admit at the Nate's Minion. And those people do uh, eat chont and meat and steak and everything else. Uh, uh, so I, I don't think that's, she has to, to address her concern. Her concern is, is this going to make my kids insensitive? I think that uh, an unfiltered internet and uh, various technological devices will make them a lot more insensitive than, uh, than, uh, than some schnitzel. And uh, what do you call it? So I think that it has to be emphasized to her. Plus the fact that we don't, we're not smarter than the Rebbonosham. The Rebbonosham said that we have to eat meat on certain Yom Tovim and there's Onik Shabbos and, and uh, certainly uh, uh, then, then we can could, we could rely on the Rebbonosham that we'll, we'll be okay with meat. And uh, uh, by the way, uh, it, with, with Rabbi Becher's uh, 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 liquor supply, uh, it can be a very good combination for the children. <laughs> Uh, I, I was thinking the same thing. I mean, not, not the liquor part, but you know, it called, the definition of sensitivity in Rachmanis goes by the Torah's Dorin, right? We know that before we know that before um, World War II, I think it's brought down in Germany that they used to save the cats and they used to you know put them up and have Rachmanis on the cats. We saw where that where that got us, and. Um, and, you know, I've heard there's been people, you know, save the trees, right? People want to save the trees from being cut down. 
they'll put a metal spike inside a tree. So someone cuts it down, it will shoot out and kill the person. Right? That, that shows their uh, sensitivity. So that's to be, be guided also, the correct sensitivity. Yeah, one, one of the, what, what you mentioned is one of the only organizations that objected to deportation of Jews in Germany was the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. They were concerned about animals that the Jews would leave behind suddenly and would not have anyone to feed them. So. That's, that's, why, that's why they were upset. Yes, yes, that's what they said, yes. Wow, unbelievable. Didn't know that part. Move on to the next question. How do we explain capitalism as opposed to socialism? Our kids think that socialism is fair and right idea since everyone gets supported without worry. Rabbi Tembler. Um, it's, it's hard for me to imagine that this question Capitalism versus socialism is one of the burning issues of the day, and it belongs in this in, in this uh, forum. Uh, I, I think the 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 chinuch question is a different one. Where did these kids get this idea about socialism? Ten years ago, anybody who would have brought up the concept of socialism would have been considered to be inane and insane. This is all part of the the woke. Um, of the, the woke philosophy today, it's the the uh, the left taking taking over, trying to take over people's minds. The college professors, who are in a totally corrupt way, trying to influence to influence the youth. I think the chinuch question is: if somebody is asking their parent, "What's wrong with socialism? Why not do socialism?" and they're quoting Bernie Sanders or this AOC Mundovelis, the um, the uh, where are they getting it from? Where are they getting it from? You know, um, I, I heard many times from Murray Rabbi, Rabbi Yaakov Weinberg, he's a friend of Bracha. Now, it's an amazing thing, if you look historically, during the Civil War, uh, people who lived above the Mason-Dixon line um, were very moral people. They, uh, they believed uh, that slavery was immoral, was wrong. And the people below the Mason-Dixon line um, they didn't uh, believe that slavery was wrong, but we're going to do it anyways. They believed that slavery was very, very moral. It was for everybody's benefit, for the benefit of the slaves also. How do you explain that a geographical boundary like that? And Rabbi Weinberg said, it must be the water in north of the Mason-Dixon line caused people to believe in that morality. That it is, sarcastically speaking, we're all products of our environment. We know that, I'm not gonna wax poetic about that. We're, we're, we're products of our environment. What environment did we allow this child to be part of that should come up with this mishigas of socialism? That's really the danger. What did we allow her to be exposed to? Is, is she going to a secular four-year college listening to these professors? Nuvalin Mamish, is that what she's doing? Uh, did she have unfettered access to the internet? Where is this influence coming from? That to me, is the primary chinuch question. And it's, it's a sarkona, sarkona gedola. If you want to answer briefly, I, I personally just look at the Torah. The Torah is capitalist in its, in, its, uh, in, in its structure. You know, we tell the Boaz, the wealthy landowners, we, nobody tells Boaz, the wealthy landowner, Boaz, you know, you should um, redistribute, re redistribute your wealth to those pe poor people crawling through your fields. Right? Nobody says that in the Torah. 
the um, the uh, like we have a beautiful society. We have a society that taxes the landowners to support the spiritual arm of the nation with Trumagadila and Maisarishain. We have we 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 tax them to support the Aniyim with Maisarani and with Pasach Tiftach every single year. We have a social tax to make sure that our social events take place in Yerushalayim with our, with our wealth of Maiser Sheini. We have so many things that are, that, are, that are beautiful, but it's based on a capitalist society. The Torah is based that way. There's no mention in the Torah of any type of, of redistribution of, of wealth or a bunch of freebies. And the, the other point that really hammers it home, you know, the Navi says, Ki yashorim darkei Hashem, tzadikim yelchubo, um, you have to demonstrate that any society that's been based on totally socialist society has turned into a tyranny and a dictatorship and, 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 and just for the benefit of the elite and the um, they said this is, it's never worked and it doesn't work and it turns into a terrible, a terrible uh, dehumanization. It's, it's, I don't need other animals is a result of, of, of socialism. It's a result that there isn't, there isn't any sense. These, these societies never embrace the idea of a tzerel of a tzerel melokim. This is the That's the ultimate socialist the communist society. And, um, but again, the chinuch aspect is the first thing, where is it coming from? Which, wh- what's, what's her exposure that's causing her? To come up with this with, with this kind of philosophy. Is Hasvakalila she being exposed to the whole woke Mishigas? That's that would be my reaction. Yeah. Very good. Um Ari Becher, I'd like to add. Uh, yes, in in first of all, in defense of the uh, the uh, child who is asking about socialism, at least when I was in high school, uh, in the world history course, we did learn about socialism. Uh, so uh, she may have heard about it from legitimate sources, uh, you know, uh, could be uh, in high school history. So, uh, uh, but, uh, but the question um, of socialism, I think, I think there are uh, uh, two, two components have to be discussed. Number one, which Ruf Tendler alluded to at the end of his, uh, his answer, is that if you are interested in the increase of human happiness, which is a very good thing, to be concerned with. You would like to increase people's happiness and tranquility, etc. So let us look at the societies that have been most successful in helping human beings have enough to eat and have, uh, and have uh, security and peace. Uh, and you will find that it is not uh, societies that embraced socialism. Venezuela and Russia and Cuba, um, etc. Uh, they are they are countries that were not are not successful and were not successful. Uh, the, um, the 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 societies which have been successful in providing uh, health and uh, longevity and uh, and and security to their inhabitants generally have been capitalist societies. Um, and so, uh, so that's that's an important point. Just the his, the empirical data does not support socialism as the means to bring people greater happiness. Uh, that's point number one. Point number two, 
uh, I would say that uh, that um, we are also forgetting that with in 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 Torah the basics the the basis of of our system is what we call chiyuv, not rights, like obligations, not rights. Um, Susan Last Stone, professor of comparative law at Harvard, has an excellent article, and one of the points she makes in the article. Um, is that, that in secular law, the focus is on rights, human rights. She said that is a very egotistical focus, right? When I think in terms of rights, I think of what am I owed? What can you do for me? What can the government do for me? What, 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 what do I deserve, etc.? She says She said that, uh, she said Judaism, but the Torah is based not on rights, but on chiyuv, meaning what is my obligation? How, what can I do? What do I owe? That is an outward facing idea. So in the Torah, when someone like Boaz has money, the Torah doesn't say everyone has a right to his money. No. What the Torah says is Boaz has a chiyuv to give trumas and maesers and so on and so forth, et cetera, et cetera, and to let the people uh, go through the field, the, the, the leket shikha peya, et cetera, et cetera. So, it is, so the Torah understands that there is a need for that, that, that I need to, if I have the money, I need to help others. It places not a right upon them to take my money or a right upon the government to take my money, but it places an obligation upon myself to give that money. To paraphrase a, uh, the American uh, president, John F. Kennedy, in his inaugural speech, who said, uh, well, I'll quote him first of all, but ask not what your country can do, ask what you can do for your country. I would paraphrase that and say what the Torah says is ask not what others can do for you. That's that's socialism. Give me, give, right? Ask what you can do for others. That's the Torah. It is my chiyuv. And I remember Moshe Shapiro quoting um, that um, the idea that the concept of chiyuv is a concept which is founded in, in Torah. It's founded in in, so to speak, religion. It is not something that secular culture, it's mainly about rights. He says, the Torah is about, I'm a mechuyev. When a Jew turns 12, she becomes bas mitzvah. When a Jew turns 13, he becomes bar mitzvah. I become mechuyev. I'm obligated. When God has given me the gift of wealth, when Hashem has given me the gift of, 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 uh, of plenty, that also imposes upon me a chiyuv to help others to share. When you have a society like that, that's a happy and a good society. That will bring the maximum good to the maximum amount of people using using that system of what not what others can do for me but what i can do uh for others beautiful Love thank that you i'd like to add something i'd wanted to add a good sure it, to something i've said i think it's very important um this whole question carries itself a problem that we start with a goyesha we Democrat, Republican, capitalist, socialist, Antifa, Proud Boy, none of that stuff are Yiddish stuff. It's shitas of Omusolam, and inevitably it may carry some points that we agree with, it may carry many points we don't disagree with. For us to embrace, to be a Jewish Republican, so I understand when there's pragmatic reasons for it, I get it. I understand you need to, but the whole idea 
that we, if anyone says I'm a, a yid, the Torah yid should never say I am a Republican or I am a Democrat or whatever. When we need to support a candidate, we have to make a cheshbon and people who are this, this kind of make a cheshbon. A, B, C is, is stims, D, E, F doesn't. It's more what's kedai than what we identify with. It's which pieces. But the whole idea that we are socials, we are capitalists, we are neither socials, we are neither capitalists. If you go through the Rambam, and you go through our lochas carefully, some of them may dovetail, some of them may be in a different place. And I think that that's, I think Rav Tendler made this point, and I think it's it's true across the board. We are Torah Eden, and you, we may find points that are that that resonate, and, and if we can't find any negative points that don't resonate, th- then we've been sucked up in something that's not ours. The tremendous point, Maldekagdara. Good. Okay, move on to the next question. Rabbi Lobianski said you have children living there in Israel, right? Okay, we have a question here. It seems like America is falling apart. <laughs> is now the time to make Aliyah, even if it would be difficult to adjust with the kids? Obviously, a lot <laughs> more, but that's, that's how the question came. Rabbi Lobianski. <laughs> So I was zeichut to live 25 years in Israel, and in the most beautiful place in the world. We live near Shlaim in Azad Biro, which maybe I'm prejudiced, but the Chain Makamal Yisrael still exists. There was nothing like it. It was a kehillah of Neitayra in a beautiful physical setting. Ten minutes walk from the Me Yeshiva, twenty minutes walk from Gula, um, half hour maybe from the Kaisal. It really it's, it's 25 years of of, of Gan Eden and and. I can't say enough. And Baruch Hashem, I was so that my kids grew up there. The only one who, my youngest was, was for six years, I, I traveled back and forth, crazy schedule, because I, I couldn't bring myself to bring the kids and so on and so forth. That's where my heart is. But the most difficult piece of the puzzle are the kids. It's a vadai. If you go with kids that are the wrong age, the question is how many will fall off Somebody who's 45 and has kids of all ages, and the Baruch Hashem, they're doing okay in Yeshiva since that, because America's falling apart. I, I, was, I remember the riots in the 60s. And Rabbi Tandler probably remembers them. In, 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 I remember not being able to walk out for three days on the, on, on the east side because the, the, the locals were, were rampaging. I remember that. It, it, it's not like, like people's memories are short. So, 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 and, and, and so it's people to make that cheshben when there's a vadai in terms of the kids. I, I think now, I, I can't, we're talking here to a group, I don't know, it, there might be specific people of specific circumstances, Lamaila this way, Lamaila. This, but this is a critical decision. If it's based on the fact because they have Navua that America's falling apart. So if they feel that they're a shaita or cotton, that you might actually have Navua, I can't argue. I, 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 I don't claim to, to, to that. But if, but if they're coming with Seichel with reason, it, it makes no sense. And, 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 and then the kids are all on the streets. You, you work with kids, you know what it's like. Your parnasses from that, I hate to say it. You know, that, that's, 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 that's where it comes from. So, so that person should, should not understand that. It, it, it's like it's a, a mythical solution to all, to all issues. And, and that's the problem. The problem is, so somebody's living at Israel, he's in the man at Israel, he's sitting and learning, he has a coil, his wife has a this, he, his kids are growing into it. And he asks himself, 
Should I stay in Israel? That's a shiloh. That, that, that's a shiloh because he, he has a mockery, he has a mitzvah, his kids are going to the But for an American to pick up, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I have very strong because I unfortunately, I can't tell you how many kids I've had to spend hours trying to get their, their anger at their parents. Uh, uh, you know, try try to get it out. You know, to, so I upon him. I have strong feelings, and it comes together with the fact that my most beautiful years are were those twenty five years. They're a treasure. I, it was Gan Eden. They're most. It was it was the best thing possible, and and uh, I grew into it. I came to Israel like seventeen. I learned the Mishiva. That's my life. That was my that was my mitzvahs. You know, my wife is at the Shalik and Baruch and everybody, you know, so fine. Baruch Hashem, I was to that. But to just drop in because it'll solve your problems and there's some sort of mystical sense of, you know, the shofar's about to blow and Mashiach's about to come and we got to get there. If Mashiach will come, I assure you there'll be flights. I assure you you'll, there'll, there'll be a place for you. And, and, and but if, as long as you have to deal with it, the kids, Asid is the most important piece of the puzzle. I'm sorry that I'm strong about it, but but uh, you know, no. it, it, yeah, I, I hear you know live it. I go to Bethlehem's summer. As I said, we're an organization that obviously we work with the Anglo community here in Eretz Israel, and you know we actually have an old department where people come with to us even before they move, and we help guide them, and we help when them help make that decision in a, as a as a smart decision, and. I'll tell you a few things that we do say, which is basically a lot of things that you've said, is that first of all, people running away from uh, problems, as opposed to running to Eretz Yisrael, that usually does not work. And secondly, Yeshua Fast from the head of Nefesh Benefesh, you know, we work together with them. They document families about how they settle here, and they keep track of them. He said the number one reason He's not sure what's the number one reason, but one of two things, and, he, and you mentioned both of them. It's either because of the problem of Parnassa, the parents, or it's because of issues with the children. And he's not sure which is the more. So you're right, there's definitely an age group of those who, you know, have either of those issues, they should be very careful. You know, they need their own guidance. And if they do come, they need to do it in a very smart way to be... Um, Help to be in touch and help people make that make that move. Okay, I see we only have a couple, few minutes left. We have a few questions. I'm going to just go to our last question, and I'm going to give everybody the um, a chance to either answer the last question or if they would like to have closing words to say closing words. Um, so this is our last question. We have been encouraging the importance of tefillah during this whole COVID situation. The whole family had a chizuk, but as time went by, it weakened. Not much of an end in sight, and due to different strains, how can we be nechazik our tefillah during this situation? Uh, Rabbi Rebach? Hey, I, I, I don't think it's really a COVID question. Nechazik um, tefillah is pre-COVID, and it's going to be post-COVID. It's always going to be a challenge. Mechazik Tevila for ourselves and for our children. So how can we make Tevila more of a reality than talking to Hashem? So maybe just to share two things. I'm sure there's many, many ideas. Um, I, I found for myself that focusing on brachas really works. A bracha is very short. With a second or two of thought, you can change it from 
something you're just saying to a very meaningful recognition of Hakarzatov to Hashem. And Brachus Birkas Shachar, I recently uh, you know, read through Rav Schwab's Perish and Birkas Shachar, some beautiful ideas that you can incorporate into, into the Bracha, but even the, the Pashup Shat of thanking Hashem for, for getting up and being healthy. Um, we have the idea of saying 100 Bachas a day is that there's 100 points in the day where we think about the Ribbon Shalom and we recognize Hashem. If we could put a little bit more thought into Bachas, so Hashem is more of a reality in our life. The more of a reality that Hashem is in our life, that we're thanking Hashem. So when I turn in Shmon Esrei, I'm not talking to a wall. I'm talking to, to He was real, who's really part of my life. Um, I think it, it, Bachas is a good starting point of... Um, of, uh, of being able to uh, thanking Hashem properly and recognizing um, all, all, the, all the good we're getting from Hashem. Um, one other thing, somebody, a, a, a congregant recently asked me, what are you davening for? What are you adding in in Yishmon Esrei to daven for? So, you know, I was thinking that's something we can share with, with, it, with our children. First, uh, I don't know if everybody knows exactly the halachas of where you add in personal requests in, in, in Shmon Esrei. So that's first, the most very important that they should know where we can add personal requests. And uh, if we share with them, what, what am I davening for? for? For my family, my parents, my kahila, uh, all the uh, Kali different personal things that makes it feel a little more, more real. And uh, I think uh, it will make it more real for, for our children. I, I just heard a story just yesterday that uh, from Valia uh, Baird, the Shiva of South Fallsburg, he said that when Aaron Cutler used to get an Aliyah, so he used to make a Mishaberach B'cholim. He made it himself. And he used to have a list of Cholim that he would he mention. He didn't have a paper. He knew it by heart. And Valia Baird says, as a little kid, he would count how many Cholim Aaron used to mention. And he said the, the most he got to was to 86. So 86 Cholim, which he which he mentioned uh, by heart. I- I'm sure anybody who stood there listening to that is going to daven better, realize what it means to daven for other people and to think about it for other people. I think if we, we could a little bit give it over, I'm davening for, for you, I'm davening for my parents, I'm davening for my kila. I'm mentioning these cholim that are in the kila. Perhaps I'll make it a little more real for our, for our children uh, to, 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 to daven. Thank you. Avi Lopiansky. Um, so it, if you look in the Rambam, famously the famous Reb Chaim, um, the Rambam has um, the criteria that are ma'akif tefillah and a lot of them are external factors. I think kavana in the heart is something that's, it, it's, it's, unless you're very special, it's very hard to, that, would, that it be consistent. It's the teva adam. But the things that we can be makbid on and then more than just chitzanius. Tefillah is first and foremost an appointment to Israel. So whether I'm in the mood or not, I put on a tie, I put on a jacket, I stand straight. If, if, I, if I have to report to the president three times a day, I, I, I do it. And I do it, you know, in the way that's supposed to be done. The kvias in tefillah. So if you're done at home, it's easy to be sloppy about if you wear a hat, a hat, a jacket, a jacket, whatever it is that you do, or the gardel, whatever it is. But to have a, a makom that's, that's set, that's kavua, to, to have a sit. In other words, it's a chiyuv. And, and there's a tsura that's binding. That's something you can force yourself always. I do believe it will enhance 
because it'll give you a sense of the reverence that's needed and the sense of it will definitely be a, a very good context for that. But this is something you can do. And at home, the Nisoyen is bigger to be kind of sloppy and to do it at odd times, to do it in odd places, to do it with odd levush. But if you say, what do you mean? This is this is uh, uh, this corner, these are the times that I daven, and this, I think that, that that's something a person can be mapped on. Kavana, I mean, some of those suggestions are very nice suggestions, but I'll upon him, that, that's what I would like to add to it. Thank you, very good, thank you. Uh, Rabbi Tendler, I'd like to address this or some other words. I, I agree with Rabbi Lapiansky. I think that the uh, the consistency of of the chitzanius to be more the pnimius uh, very it's because it's such a big challenge. If we're only going to focus on the pnimius and the kavana, it's it's it it's going to be depressing and disillusioning. Um, if if we makabel a certain chitzanius, like whatever it is, each person. Whether it's put on the tie, put on the jacket, a hat, or whatever, so have a special bakum, I use a sitter, some chitzanius that we're makabel, and then of course we're going to be uh, in, internalized. What Rabbi Rebek is saying, you know, that the, even when we're having a, a difficulty of um, of, um, of of kavana in the tefillah, if we have a moment where we mispala for a chola, at least we have that one moment of emotional emotional connection. And um, I think the chitzanius is very important. There's one more point. Um, davening the Anshiknesis Agadayla, when they masadar the bakoshes, I think those bakoshes are bakoshes, that defines a yid. And if we go through Shemona Esrei, and we don't have any emotional connection to Hashiva Shavtenu Kavarishana, we don't have any emotional connection to Tka B'Shoifer. And sometimes I wake up myself at Shema Koleinu, and, you know, and I and I have some personal bakasha or bakasha for somebody else, or bakasha for the yeshiva or for something. And then I think, like, what kind of a Jew am I that I, I had no kavana whatsoever by yeshiva shavtenu? defining what, what is a good Jew? A good Jew is somebody who cares about every single one of those bakoshas. But that's that's gonna it's gonna be it's it's hard to hard to maintain consistency. That's why I like what Rabbi Lapiansky said. The consistency should come with the Hitzainius. Yeah. Can help on consistency a little bit is you know, somebody once asked me um, three times a day, you know, like give a call once a week. You know, it's three times. It's explained to us, you know, I have to um, raise money for our organization, right? And um, should be a kapara for my avoidance position. And, um, and if I would get a phone call, I told them one day, Someone tells me, you know what? All your bills are covered. You can have everything you need. You can help anybody you want. All your bills. I'm just going to ask you, be in touch with me. Give me a call three times a day. See what, you know, check in how things are going. Thank me. Tell me what else you need. Keep in touch. And calls mind you do that. We'll keep, you know, we'll keep you in control. I don't think that there's any head of any organization that would be more than happy to do that. Just needs uh, a little machshava. I'm not saying that I have to work on that machshava too, but uh, at least it's uh, it's an idea. Uh, Rabbi Becher, you'd like to address this or? Yeah, um, two two points. Um, 
I think it's, I have found it helpful for myself and uh, certainly uh, for my students um, that, uh, that when we understand the depth of the tefillahs, when we understand the meaning of them, when we understand the language and the origin and the history, it does help enhance our tefillahs. Uh, so I, uh, I mean, I've given courses uh, on this at, at Yeshiv University. I, I found uh, the, the, there are such beautiful perushim on tefillahs available in, uh, not only in, in Hebrew, but also in English, uh, but which really can help people. The more, because if you're saying things that you don't understand, and the fact is that a lot of people, I, I, don't, I haven't done statistics on this, um, I have to speak to the Neve Yaakov Statistical Institute for a survey. <laughs> but um, uh, I, I, I have a feeling that many people don't understand a lot of the tefillahs. They don't understand a lot of the words. They don't understand why we say this and why we say that and, and why we say it here, etc. I think the more we understand, I think the better our tefillahs will be whether it's a safer Alat Fila Barak Saba Kabbalah or Bar Shomar or 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 of Schwabenfils or of Hersh's Sidor Oilasria or of Cook. Amazing, amazing things. That's number one. Number two, um, you know, the Ramchal composed his safer of Tiktu Tfilas, five hundred and fifteen Tfilas. Every single one ends with Lishuascha Kivisi Hashem. Uh to to have an understanding that I have a, there's a, and, and in his, his essay on Kivui, on hope, uh, the idea of hope, tikva, is related to the word kav. It's a line that ties you to, to try to have an understanding that, that whether I understand it or not, whether I see the results or not, there's a line connecting me and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and the, the, the holding on to that line is, is what tefillah is. Hashem. I hold on to that line and understand that the hope, my personal hopes, individual hopes, familial, communal, and national hopes and universal hopes are completely and utterly dependent upon HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I remember Moshe Shapiro uh, pointing out that just standing there with your feet together in Shemona Esra, that is, that is tefillah through body language because pl- having your feet together immobilizes you. What I'm basically saying by standing there with my feet together is I'm immobilizing myself. I'm saying, I can't even move without you. I have to hold on to the line of tikva for everything. And that recognition is very basic to tefillah, but is not that common in our, in our approach to our Baruch Hu, that I'm holding on for dear life. It is the kav that connects me to the future, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and I'm immobilized without that. So Lushu Oscha, Kivisi Hashem, have that in mind in all of our tefillahs, as the Ramchal points out. Beautiful. Rabbi Kaplan? First of all, I just want to, before I, before I respond to the question, I just want to say, first of all, there's a very big, uh, I very, feel very honored to have been uh, uh, on the same panel as such Choshev Rabbonin, uh, it was a very big comment for me. I, you know, I, uh, obviously, you, uh, it, it's it's something that uh, I feel a lot of people get a tremendous amount from, and I think that we all owe a debt of gratitude to uh, Rabbi Goodman and his organization. Uh, both, it's uh, it's always uh, 
tremendous work that they do it that they do in Israel and uh, and I think all over the world. And so we have tremendous hakarsatot to them. I would only say that uh, as far as the question of tefillah, uh, what Rav Revach said, I, I I agree with fully. This is not a COVID uh, limited to COVID. Chazal say the Gorn Brach Islam and Beis says they a one of the four things that needs chizuk constantly is tefillah. Uh, now, perhaps more than other times, we feel uh, that we need the chizuk. We go up and down with it again, davening with a minion, without a minion. But uh, it is chizuk. That's the way it is. It's an avoda. Avoda shabalev, and it's an avoda. And I once heard that on the medrash that David Amalekh and the pasuk Vadochi Tolas Veloish the Yalkut Shimoni says that Klal is compared to a worm. That a worm kocho thief, Their koch is in the mouth. The Klal the koch is in our mouth. And the comparison to a worm is that if you watch a tree rot, if a tree rots, a tree rots because the worms have eaten away at the base of the tree. Now, on any given worm, if a worm, an oak tree rots because the worms are biting away at the base of the oak tree, no given worm, if you would see him take a bite, if you don't see there's a micro, 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 micro particle that the worm has gotten a hold of. But obviously something has happened because eventually the tree rots. So when David says, we're compared to a worm, that means every single tefillah that we dive in has an effect. Every single, we may not see the effect immediately, we may not see the effect for 30 years, but every single tefillah, that's a big chizuk that we should know that whenever we're diving, now diving for this to end, the diving for our family, our kids, every single tefillah has an effect, that's a big chizuk. And I'll just end with one story that I heard, that there was a rav once went to France, and uh, obviously he was diving to leave as soon as possible. But he got to France and he walked into a shul and he saw a Jew and this Jew was diving and the Jew was shaking and shaking during the diving. He looked like he was on a jungle gym. And the Rav was watching him and he couldn't get his eyes off of him. And uh, eventually the guy finished diving. The Rav walked over to him and says, Rebiet, can I ask a question? I was mesmerized. I was enchanted watching you diving. Why, why? I'm just curious. Why were you shaking around so much? So he said to me, you know, when I was a little boy, my mother called me in the kitchen and she filled a jug with water and she put it on the table and she filled it all the way to the top and she gave the table a shake and the water spilled over. And she said to me, Yankee, I want to tell you something. That jug is the Ribonashol. The Ribonashol is a Kel Mole Rachami. And all we have to do is figure out a way to get some of that Rachami to spill over like I shook the table. And therefore... He said to the Rav, look, I'm an unsophisticated person. I don't understand the tefillahs. They're, you know, very involved. I figured if I shake a lot during davening, then some of that rachamim will spill over for us. And that's really the matzav we're in today. Kosh Baruch, we have to remember, is a kel, mole rachamim. And of course, Baruch loves us more than we love ourselves. And all we have to do is be mischazik, davening, tefillah, kedusha sabayis, and hopefully, Akash Rocho, that Rachamim will spill over on Kleisel, will have all the Yeshuas uh, that we could hope for. And again, a tremendous Yasha Koyach, and a thank you uh, to Rabbi Goodman and his staff, and to all the Rabbanim, uh, all the, including myself, okay, but to, to all the people who joined us to, tonight. And uh, I, I, I think that we all got something tremendous out of it. I certainly did. So, definitely want to thank all the Chashi Rabbanim again, thank you for their precious time. I personally, I know I felt the chizuk. Um, I've a lot of chazer from tonight. We cover a lot of very good points. Uh, I'd like to thank everybody for participating that joined us this evening. Um, 
and we shall all be zeicher to take nachas from our children, ourselves, and we should be zeicher to have any refus gichus we need this time, and to be able to make Teretz Yisrael confident in Shorim Hashem. Amen. Thank you very much.